All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And I'm really excited to be joined by a colleague, a mentor, an educator, Dr. Titus Chu. He's the number one best-selling author, award-winning international speaker, and a leader in the field of functional neurology who help people struggling with post-concussive syndrome get their brains and lives back. So Dr. Titus, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so listen, I I've, I've seen a lot of the work that you do and ultimately I wanna delve into the post-concussive field and how that relates to stress, exhaustion, burnout, because the people that listen to this podcast are exhausted and burnt out and frustrated because a lot of the times they go see their doctor and adrenal fatigue is not real and or their blood tests are normal and ultimately they are not taken seriously and they're frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, and I always love to bring in experts about uh, the, around that field, but more specifically, things that can lead to fatigue, exhaustion, and burnout. And, and really, in terms of post-concussive injuries, that's a huge area to discuss. But before we get into that, Titus, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? I know you have your own personal health story. Maybe help the listeners understand a little bit about your own health challenges that you had had in the past. Yeah, definitely. So... Over 20 years ago, I was in a really terrible car accident and I ended up with broken ribs, a dislocated shoulder. I was actually on a, a scooter on my way to work and it was hit by a car and got thrown from that. And thank God I survived, but I was left with chronic pain and I didn't know it at the time. I actually had suffered a concussion as well. And so through that whole process, I tried to find answers for the pain and the discomfort and, you know, all the different symptoms I was experiencing. And I was shocked because, you know, I was raised in conventional medicine. A lot of my, um, you know, family are medical doctors and nurses. And, you know, I'm not speaking bad against them. They're great. But the whole model within conventional medicine of just focusing on symptoms, I was shocked because I couldn't find answers, you know, outside of uh, painkillers or, you know, things like that, that just didn't give me long-term relief. So I decided to take it, you know, upon myself and I went outside the box and I went back to school. I got a master's in nutrition. I did a postdoc in clinical neurology. I even studied chiropractic and acupuncture and all these, everything I could get my hands on to start getting answers to these symptoms I was experiencing. And also everything I could get my hands on so I can share you know, my breakthroughs with my patients in the world. And so fast forward, that was over 20 years ago, fast forward. And so here I am really living that out because my, my mission is to really empower people high achievers who have experienced concussion or trauma to get their lives back, to go from surviving back to thriving. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, when you have that personal story too, I have that story as well. I hurt my back. I had exercise physiology degree and I was watching those bodybuilding magazines and I injured my back mm. and I'm from a traditional family of medical doctors as well. And I say, I'm like the weird black sheep, holistic guy. And yeah. they wanted me to go for surgery. And I was no way I was having surgery. Like, listen, I can rehab it on my own. 
and and then it led to like in your what you just described going down that rabbit hole yeah. and, and and helping yourself and then learning how to help other people so I can resonate with a lot of that with what with and again not that traditional approaches are, are bad mm-hmm. um, when there are major um, health acute based yeah. challenges there's nowhere else you'd want to be to yeah than, exactly. than, you know going to approach right exactly. so as yeah. far as um go ahead yeah yeah that's you know that's the thing when i got hit by that car i was taken by ambulance to the emergency room so i am so thankful for the doctors and nurses that attended me there because just like you said when it comes to more life-threatening crises you know of you know health conditions hands down conventional medicine all the way but I found that there was this huge gap and that was my experience at the time. And the further I dove into, especially around concussion, I found that there was a massive gap in healthcare, right? Being like discharged from the ER and then actually then getting like follow-up care for things such as post-concussion syndrome that can develop sometimes months or years after the event. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I'm on the same page. When it comes to emergency health, especially conventional medicine, hands down. But I find that things like what we do, the functional approaches, really helps to fill in that gap for so many people who are struggling more with more chronic health issues. For sure, for sure. There's so many more shades of gray than black and white. And it, you know, in a in a optimal sort of looking at the glass half full, it is frustrating because I know when I was exhausted and burnt out, and I was searching for help. I didn't get taken to the hospital in an ambulance, right? I was exhausted yeah. and burnt out. And, and then I was told that it's black or white. You know, you either have an adrenal exhaustion, it's adrenal insufficiency, it's Addison's disease, yeah. or you don't, right? And I think it's similar too, in the sense that with a concussive-like injury, shades of gray are not really in the... Um, in sort of the allopathic approach or curriculum, I would imagine. So that's where we can sort of springboard into that. So yeah. first question I would have for you, Titus, is when you were injured and hit and had that dreadful injury, what was it, what were the symptoms and how did it get on your radar that, okay, actually, because unless it's like a Mike, a Mike Tyson knockout punch, you're out cold. Yeah. I'm sure that many people don't realize that there was concussive injuries and there was, it fills the, the, the box in terms of the, all the characteristics that define that. So sorry to succinctly ask you the question, what were the symptoms that you had? And then how did it get on your radar that you knew you had actually a concussion? Yeah, that's a great question. And through my whole experience diving into this world and specializing in post-concussion syndrome, I find that it is a silent epidemic. Like when I had mentioned, when I first was in that car accident, I dislocated my shoulder, I broke ribs. And so the main symptoms I was kind of struggling with was chronic neck and shoulder pain, you know? And so I wasn't even thinking about a concussion. I was wearing a helmet. When I look back on it now, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I definitely did. I just, I was so focused on the pain, but I was actually wearing a helmet and it was like really, it was strapped in really tight, right, Joel? But when I hit the ground and kind of came to and caught my wind again, I actually didn't get knocked out. I got the wind knocked out of me. But when I came to, my helmet had like fallen off from the impact. 
even though it was buckled. So when I kind of look back on it, I kind of put the pieces together later on. So it's really interesting because the most pressing symptoms at that time were chronic neck and shoulder pain. And who's actually chiropractic, my brother who adjusted me and within a few treatments completely changed my life. I'm like, oh my goodness, like, like this whole world opened up. So I went back to school and as I went through the process, that was the thing. Like I said, it's a silent epidemic because I didn't even realize I had a concussion or post-concussion syndrome. Number one, um, for those of you watching out there, um, one of the most common myths about concussions is you even need to hit your head, right? You don't even need to hit your head. It doesn't have to be a physical trauma to your head because your brain is like, it sits like in a fishbowl, right? It's uh, sloshing around your skull and, and bathe in the cerebrospinal fluid. And so even if you, I've had patients who I work with, even if they, they're like skiing and they land really hard and then they develop all these symptoms or even if they fall off their bike and they kind of catch themselves with their hand, don't even hit the head, but the reverberation goes up and then they develop symptoms. So that's the number one biggest misconception with concussion is that you need to be knocked out or see stars or even to hit your head. So that was my understanding at the time as well. And so like, it was really interesting because when I went back to school, I started experimenting with my health, like changing my diet. I, everything that I learned, like in workshops and conferences and in school itself, I would actually apply to my own life. And a lot of health issues I had prior to that car accident, like brain fog and being sick all the time, kind of stuff you describe, right? Just kind of a more chronic, just not feeling well. A lot of that stuff just melted away. But what was really strange was, I would say probably about five years after that car accident, I started to develop more like cognitive and psychological symptoms. And when it got really bad, I developed like uh, vertigo. I'd have these vertiginous events where I'd literally be sitting like at a dinner, right? Just sitting there eating my food. And all of a sudden I feel the whole room move or I thought was the room is actually the inner ear otolithic system out of balance, right? But it gave the illusion of that movement. And so I, but that was like five years after that concussion, you know, it's like, what well, we kind of talked about before we got on this call here, you know, I see concussion as this silent epidemic, a very under-recognized root cause for these like chronic stress conditions, right? I see concussion both as a physical, chemical, and emotional trauma, right? Because the physical trauma, if, if you have the reverberation or you get hit in the head, that's a trauma. And that impacts the biomechanics and it could lead to coup or counter coup injuries. Number two, it's a chemical trauma because after that you trigger an immunoexcitotoxic response is both inflammation and excitotoxicity where the brain cells become overactivated. They can't handle it. And then people develop symptoms like brain fog or brain fatigue. And then finally, emotionally, just, you know, having struggled with it for so long and not finding answers and, I know work with a lot of people who they have, you know, especially the messaging they get from a lot of the doctors they see, or maybe even um, well-meaning friends and families like, oh, you just have to get used to your new normal, right? 
And so I'm here to say that number one, you don't have to <laughs> get used to your new normal because there's so many things that can be done to at least improve the situation. But yeah, so that was my whole experience as well. I, you know, it wasn't this immediate, like all of a sudden I was losing my memory and I was having brain fog. It's like it developed over many years. And when I think back on it, it was like, that was like a massive stressor that I was never attended to. And then other stressors I had to deal with, like with school and with starting a practice. And, you know, I wasn't the healthiest, even though I was making these changes, I was still didn't have the healthiest lifestyle. So all these stressors compounded and then I developed post-concussion syndrome, you know, and, but I really look back and I see that that trauma from the car accident was a massive you know, uh, pre predisposing event for sure. For sure. I mean, it's interesting because I don't even think it's a silent epidemic for those that get it, but for the providers like you and me or not so much mm -hmm. you, but for a lot of complicated presentations, Titus, that come in the office that, yeah, you know, something's missing. Why, are you, why do you still have vertigo or why do you still have headaches? I mean, I'm looking at the, the neuropsycho immuno component and exactly. I think it really behooves the pr provider to really have an amazing history and, and, and sift that out during that, that history so that you can tailor your approach and consider that. So we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I teach as well, and I'm sure you're familiar with, is that whole cell danger where mm -hmm. when you have a, a cumulative effect of stressors, uh, acute one-offs plus insidious continuation of stressors um, to ultimately I tell people that you, you just don't have enough supply to meet the demand. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the weak link in the broken chains break in different places for different people and manifest yeah. as fatigue, exhaustion, burnout, sexual function, all these things. But the, the next thing that I would say though, is in that second paper by Dr. Navial that talked about cell danger, he also talks about incomplete healing. Mm -hmm. so that you don't really go through the healing cycle to the full extent. And it rings any more true than it would with a post-concussive type sy symptom yeah. or, or, or diagnosis. So mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I see that all the time too, you know, because for my experience and what I see a lot of my patients and private clients is like, they have a concussion or they have some type of trauma, maybe mild or sometimes stronger. And they're just like, oh, you know, they just kind of went on with their life. And then whenever they get in touch with me, they're like, yeah, I don't know what happened, but this time I just knew something was different. Like I've had concussions in the past, but this time I just, you know, it, it felt different. And then from there they develop the further symptoms. And so that's absolutely in line with the latest research with concussion and um, all, you know, the buildup of, well, you know, what we call immunoexcitotoxicity, right? You get inflammatory processes turned on and activated in the nervous system by these immune cells we call microglia, right? Normally our immune cells, the microglia should be just kind of surveying the area, but after a concussion, they become activated and they start to release inflammatory chemicals Normally, if a person then like is aware of that and, you know, honors their need for rest and restoration, then in many cases, not always though, that inflammatory process will go back to baseline, right? But number one, what I see is 
people don't allow give themselves that downtime and then they end up just going back into the life fully you know full on stress or maybe they hit, get hit on the head again and then that so if they don't address that you know properly then it builds up but a lot of times it's not their fault either because they weren't educated about it from their doctors but then number 2 what i also see is a baseline some type of issue is already going on you know you know we talk about that right with stress it's just the build up of the bucket right where you know maybe they had leaky gut at the time of the head injury so if their inflammation levels were already nor like let's say green is normal and red is in the high alert let's say their inflammation levels are about yellow orange to begin with and then they got the head injury then it immediately took them the red and it was took them a really long time to get back to baseline if ever, like a lot of people, I just, that's the thing, you know, things can be done and there's so much everyday research and breakthroughs, you know, and I've spent like, again, the past 20 years, both personally and professionally kind of curating all that. But the point is the sooner action is taken, like serious action to start decreasing inflammation, start healing the brain and retraining those areas and identifying First and foremost, what is the root cause preventing them from feeling better again? You know, without taking those steps, then it could be a really long, arduous road, but it doesn't have to be. That's the great news. Yeah, no, that's a great insight, Titus, in, in what you just shared. I think it relates back to a lot of proactive, preventative maintenance in terms of you have a female who's pregnant her delivery and her recovery is going to be that much more accelerated when she goes into the pregnancy healthier. Same thing mm -hmm. within today's day and age with COVID, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, the more proactive, the more, uh, I guess, the, the more the, the vital, the vitality of the person that gets the illness, it ultimately this, you know, goes back to many, many decades ago about, you know, it's the host that is more succumbs to the illness than the actual cause, right? Yeah. And the same thing with concussions like as well, when, um, like you mentioned, um, that if your stress levels have already accumulated, which they are in today's day and age, because we're yeah. just bombarded with EMFs and um, so many, so many news and the, you know, the virus and everything else in between, it, it already has that bucket close to overflowing yeah. to the point where it doesn't take, like you said, an even a, 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 a head trauma, mm -hmm. but it's a head trauma. Um, it's going to be potentially that much more deleterious to, to recover from. So let's kind of work through educating the listeners in terms of um, how you, the expert would go about assessing Okay, you have the like for you five years later, you had these um, these odd neurological findings that made you wonder because you were already being proactive, you were already yeah. changing your diet and doing things. So how can we help the listener understand, hey, yeah, like I've been proactive as well, mm -hmm. but I've also had my bucket kind of start to accumulate yeah. and I don't know if I had a concussion. But it sounds like, you know, what you're telling me right now is it should be on my radar. So how yeah. does the expert explain that to them? And then what do we do about all that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really interesting, you know, my whole exploration and how I kind of stumbled upon this 
it's like as I was going through school, I was getting my hands on, like I said, as much information as could. I was going to, I was a total seminar junkie, conferences, reading books and articles. And I would get really good results with many of my patients. But there is this one subset of patients that I work with. It was just like, I tried all the things. I tried the diet. I tried the supplements. I did like adjustments and they wouldn't get better. And so I just kind of stepped back and, you know, did what I do, what I was born to do. So like I went deeper and asked myself, why aren't they getting better? And I, it was, I was shocked. The huge percentage of them, like a vast majority of them had a history of a concussion. Like, and that was the thing. It wasn't like they got knocked out or they got, you know, whatever, like a massive trauma. It was, so I had to kind of explore them and ask them and, you know, go into their history more, but sure enough, many of them had a history of a concussion, either maybe a car accident, like a whiplash, right? Or like I described before, maybe they just landed really hard when skiing or fall, fall off their bike. And so once I discovered that, I went deeper, I went to more conferences and I started exploring the whole world, not just of the brain and neurology, but specifically of concussion. And the fascinating thing was, again, I, you know, the things that I learned, the knowledge that I accumulated, I also wanted to experiment on myself. So I, you know, had all these technologies that I played around with, like brain healing technologies and concussion protocols and brain training, all these things that I was just adding to my tool belt as a clinician. But then I would experiment on myself and, oh my goodness, it was like the lights turned on again, Joel. It's like these symptoms that I started to develop like more brain fog and cognitive symptoms, even more like emotional symptoms, like issues with anger. And when it got really bad, like paranoia, stuff that I've never, ever experienced, you know, in my entire life, those things started to improve. I'm like, oh my goodness. It was like this light bulb came on years later. I'm like, I think I had a concussion, right? And so it was almost like it was like a process of, it wasn't like, okay, I know I have a concussion. Here's what I'm going to do. It was more like, I'm going to experiment and learn as much as I can to help these people. And when I apply that to my life, my brain finally got back online. Then it was like, oh my goodness. And so, you know, I, that's just kind of the story of how I kind of stumbled upon it and became, you know, specialized in post-concussion syndrome. And so that's the thing, you know, the first things first for people who are watching and wondering to themselves, hmm, I wonder if my chronic fatigue or my chronic gut issues are due to concussion. Some things you could just think about is, have you ever been in a car accident? Have you ever suffered whiplash, right? Have you ever fallen from your bike or fallen off a horse? Or have you ever gone skiing like do you play soccer, right? One of the most common things I see with my patients is like, uh, especially like soccer players, they don't even have a massive trauma, but those headers day in, day out, they add up, right? And so those are things like, number one, just kind of explore in your own history. Think about that. So people watching right now, just kind of sit down and say, hmm, have I ever like either hit my head? Have I ever been in a whiplash? Or even have I had like a strong jolt to my body and then maybe a few days, weeks, or months after that started to develop these symptoms. So that's the first thing, right? That's what I walk my patients through. 
I've been doing it for so long that I can kind of get right to it pretty quickly. But those are for those of you watching, just kind of sit down and maybe journal that. Like think about if you're struggling with a health issue, think about like, okay, here's when I started to develop these things is either right immediately after something or maybe it developed gradually over time, but try to trace it back, right? And you can think about the things I described like an actual head trauma or a whiplash or you know, a strong jolt to their body as a stressor, right? And you can kind of add like one point. And depending on how big the stressor was, add maybe three points. And you just add that up, it gives you probability. That's a good way to think about it, number one, right? And then number two, it's the interesting thing is if I work with a lot of patients, and it sounds like you, who've tried a lot of these foundational things, right? And so if you've tried a lot of the diet stuff, if you tried supplements, I work with patients who are awesome, amazing people who are really committed to their health. Maybe they've even run some advanced functional testing and they're still struggling with their symptoms. If you fall in that category and upon kind of exploring your own story, you're like, oh yeah, I actually had a, a pretty bad car accident I was in when I was 10 years old. If those two then add up the points even further, that that possible concussion could have been one of the massive triggers and stressors that hasn't been addressed yet. And so that's the thing, um, those of you watching right now who might be like, oh my goodness, that does sound like me. You know, the brain is really unique in that not only does it require nutrients, not only does it require like rest and, you know, healthy lifestyle, it also requires exercise and activation. And so that's what I find for, you know, people who fall in those categories. Number one, yeah, they actually did have a history of some type of possible trauma. And then number two, they're struggling with some chronic health issue that they haven't figured out yet. You know, so if you fall in that category, one of the missing pieces could be that concussion. And no diet, no supplement can address the concussion completely what does work though in those situations, the missing ingredient, don't get me wrong, diet, supplements, functional testing is all very important, but it's brain training. It's using specific types of exercises to target the different regions of the nervous system. And that's the really cool thing. I, I love this stuff because it's so personalized, you know, just like you, it's like when you work with clients and patients, you want to test, you want to take a history and you want to assess to see what is the root cause for their fatigue and burnout, right? The same thing goes for the brain. Like, but the fascinating thing is like all the different regions of the brain have different functions. So they're clues. So as an example, very common symptoms I see people have after concussion is like um, light and sound sensitivity, or maybe they become a lot more startled like from noises or sounds, right? So one area of the nervous system that processes that and could be the root cause for that symptom is what we call the brainstem, specifically the top of the brainstem, which is the midbrain, right? And so by understanding that, the cool thing is, Joel, as you know, with your training as well in neurology, like there's specific brain training exercises and therapies and advanced technologies sometimes as needed that we can use to help balance out that brainstem, number one, right? And we can activate what's known as the vagus nerve. The second very common symptom I see in people with concussions that they might not even know is fatigue, but not just like a physical fatigue, 
what we call neural fatigue, where if they're like trying to pay attention to this podcast, right, or they're trying to read or use their cognitive resources and energy, then they feel fatigue. One of the root causes for that is this region we call the prefrontal cortex. And so why is that important to know? Because there's specific brain training exercises we can do like reaction time training, or even things like breathing exercise that can activate and strengthen and heal the prefrontal cortex. So, and I know that was kind of a, a long answer to your question, but those are the things, you know, for people who are wondering, hmm, I wonder if my chronic health issues are contributed by a concussion. Number one, just think back on your own story and see if you fall in any of those categories. Number two, just if you're watching this, most likely you have a health challenge that you still haven't been able to figure out. You add those two up, there's a huge chance for that. And then finally, number three, depending on the region of the brain that might've been injured, you'll have your specific symptoms. Some of the most common symptoms I see is brain fog or brain fatigue, um, actually chronic stress, right? If the brain stem becomes overactive, the top part, especially we call the midbrain, people can just experience chronic, just deep unmitigating stress that they, you know, the, the normal approaches don't help them with, you know? So I find that to be a really under-recognized root cause for so many health issues. And even, you know, you've probably seen the research, there's actually been research looking at, and I see this a lot as well, some patients or clients I work with, after they have a concussion, they might develop some of the brain symptoms I just described, right? Light and sound sensitivity, maybe headaches, vertigo, or brain fog. But in addition, they develop some type of hormonal imbalance, or they develop some type of gut issue, or they develop, in some cases, I've seen autoimmunity express itself. And there's actually research very much looking at how uh, an injury to the brain can create leaky gut. There's, it's in the research, it's out there. It's showing, they actually did a uh, research on you know, these subjects, these animals who had a completely healthy gut, right? The villi, the microvilli of the small intestine was like really juicy and really full, meaning they had a really healthy gut. But then after the TBI, the traumatic brain injury, the concussion, they d immediately developed leaky gut. And as you know, and probably a lot of your audience knows, leaky gut or gut dysfunction is one of the biggest kind of like gateways, so to speak, gateway drugs into chronic disease, you know? And so that's the thing. Again, those are the three things that I look at. Your own history, um, the current struggles with your health challenges, and these brain symptoms combine, then you have a high likelihood that the concussion is is uh, contributing to your symptoms. Yeah, awesome, awesome answer. Um, I can understand that you're, you, you do so much more than concussive-like symptoms based on the neurology, based on the fuel, based on the activation, autoimmunity, chronic health issues. Yeah. Um, in fact, it makes me feel that, uh, especially as it relates to fatigue or HPA axis, um, or just stress in general, mm -hmm. that cortisol bombardment of the frontal lobe and the prefrontal yeah. cortex is going to just with stress alone, exactly. which basically means everyone who's listening to this, who's dealing with fatigue or stress needs some form of brain training 
if they're not doing it already. And I think just what we do, like I think what's just interesting for you, Titus, when you mentioned, I kind of reverse engineered my limitations when I illuminated them, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. in terms of I did, you know, these activities that activated my brain and I had way bigger response than I really thought I should have probably because a lot of the power source or the lights were sort of off in that area. Mm -hmm. And then you, you did the activation and they went on. So I don't think anyone will ever lose from doing activation exercises to the brain oh, because no. ultimately yeah. wear and tear bombardment of cortisol. I mean, all, you know, I think in any, most people have, if they've been active, have some form of acceleration, deceleration in the brain where they have these things. Yes. So uh, amazing information. I, I, I'm going to listen to it again and I want people to continue to listen to that. Um, I was excited that you brought in the activation because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to bring up activation and you brought up activation. And um, what's really cool about Funk Neuro is like you can do these cool things like you can activate the front part of the brain through smells and, you know, think about just and maybe give us some insights in terms of how would someone do some specific activation to different areas in their brain and maybe correlate, hey, if it's this part of the brain, this is what some of the things you may be dealing with, and this is how we would activate it to layer on all the other great stuff they're doing, but isn't moving the chains as far as it could be because they're not activating their brains. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, before I answer that, I, I love because I keep hearing this common theme of yours that totally resonates with the work I do. It's about building resilience, right? What can we do to build resilience? And there's so many ways we can approach resilience. And when I talk about recovery from a concussion or just brain health, there's these three pillars of brain health that I always explore. Number one is the physical structures like the actual communication pathways, you could think about like kind of like telephone wires that allow the, your brain cells to communicate. That's the physical brain. The second is the chemistry, the chemical brain. And that deals with things like mitochondrial function with nutrients and the HPA axis, right? And so the chemistry is very important for brain health and recovery from a concussion. And finally, the third thing is the emotional brain. And that's how we, our mindset, you know, that's how we build stress resilience, the way we look at our health challenges or any challenges and how we approach them. So I found in my journey to heal my brain and working with thousands of amazing patients and clients, like all three pillars need to be addressed. And so the physical brain though, is when we talk about brain training, that's where the physical brain um, you know, comes in. And, you know, when I talk about the three pillars, it's not just a semantic theoretical framework. It's very helpful for me as a clinician to think through, but it's also very pragmatic and practical because like I said, the physical brain responds to brain training and what we call experience dependent neuroplasticity. Whereas the chemical brain responds to things like medications or supplements or diet, right? And then five, the emotional brain refer or responds to things like, you know, uh, therapy or just mindset shifts and practices and stress management. So all three things are very important, but yeah, you actually ask a great question in terms of brain training, you know, uh, the, the beautiful thing is once you identify where in the nervous system, the root causes for like a concussion symptom, or even for things like brain fatigue or neuro fatigue, then there's specific exercise you can use, 
right? Very low tech, the things I actually teach people how to do in the comfort of their own home, all the way to super high tech things that I have people fly in from all over the world to get treatments, right? But, you know, as a starting point, we could talk about some of the low tech things. So for people, as an example, let's just kind of continue the, the train that we were talking about earlier, Joe, like when I was saying some people with concussion who develop like brain fatigue or brain fog, one of the areas could be this region known as the prefrontal cortex. That could be the root cause. The prefrontal cortex is loaded, located right behind your forehead. So it's very susceptible to injury, right? But it's also like you had mentioned before, it's like a newer structure, like embryologically. So it's a lot more sensitive to things like cortisol, just like you mentioned, right? And just as a side note, it could become this vicious cycle, right? Where, because the prefrontal cortex is, not only in, in charge of functions like focus and concentration and having energy, like cognitive energy, but it's also part of the what I call the neurological stress response, right? Whenever when people talk about stress, they always talk about the HPA axis, but sitting at the top of that totem pole are two neurological structures, the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. So that's the reason why things like neurofeedback or meditation can actually change your autonomic function, meaning it can change your blood pressure. It could slow your pulse down, right? Doing things like neurofeedback is because the prefrontal cortex controls that whole, at least the neurological stress response, right? So I find people who have injury to the prefrontal cortex, they might develop symptoms like brain fatigue or brain fog. They might have trouble organizing their thoughts. I find a lot of patients and private clients who I work with or people that I observe in my life, even if they don't have a concussion, one tell of prefrontal cortex is always running late to appointments, no matter how much they plan and don't no foul because that was one of the areas that was impacted for me in my concussion. But no matter how much they plan for it, they always manage to run late to their appointment. But again, it's not your fault. It's because the prefrontal cortex is a little bit sleepy. But another thing I see, and I know this is, you know, probably very resonates with you and your work is this chronic stress, right? Is because it becomes this vicious cycle. The prefrontal cortex, it helps to put the brakes on the stress response, what we call the sympathetic nervous system, right? It does that by way of a, a connection with the brainstem and the vagus nerve, right? So for example, your prefrontal cortex can help you get perspective on a situation. And when you have perspective, it can literally change your stress response from one of like sympathetic to what we call parasympathetic and more calm, just the shift in mindset, right? But the thing is, a lot of people, especially with concussion or chronic stress, like you were saying, there's cortisol, there's adrenaline being released by your adrenal glands that, you know, in a short-term situation can help you, you know, survive something life-threatening. But over time, your prefrontal cortex and your hippocampus, both of which are these control circuits for your stress response, they become compromised, right? So it becomes this vicious cycle. You have stress, you have a release of cortisol, which then damages your prefrontal cortex and hippocampus. When those get damaged, then they can't, you know, uh, 
turn down the stress response as much. So then you have more cortisol and on and on. It becomes this vicious, vicious cycle. But again, the great news is there's things we can do to retrain the prefrontal cortex. Number one, something as simple as breathing exercises, right, can help to not only mitigate the, you know, the um, activity in your brainstem by activating what's known as your vagus nerve, which will already put the brakes on the stress response. But when you bring your attention and awareness to anything, whether it's a thought, whether it's this conversation, whether it's like a breath exercise, when you bring your attention or focus to something, guess who else is being engaged? Your prefrontal cortex. So that's one simple thing people can do is not only just do breathing exercises, but do breathing exercises where they pay attention to either a count of, of you know, counting four, you know, holding your breath for four and then exhaling for four, right? Not even just the actual like mechanics of the four count is helpful for oxygen and carbon dioxide balance, but the fact that you're counting activates your prefrontal cortex. You can do the same thing by bringing your awareness to, you know, when uh, a big meditation that I do or breath work that I do is what's known as Vipassana, where you bring your awareness to air coming in and out of your nostril, or you bring your awareness to the movement of your belly. Anytime you bring awareness to kind of your internal state, you activate the right prefrontal cortex. Isn't that amazing? And the reason why that's important is not only do these things activate and exercise and heal the brain, like the specific areas, we can do it right versus left. Why is that important? Just like in, if you're trying to, you know, if your left bicep is weak, you're not going to go to the gym and do curls with your right bicep, right? You want to be very specific. So that's one example of something you can do to exercise this region called the prefrontal cortex. Other things, you know, <laughs> things like ping pong. <laughs> ping pong actually activates your prefrontal cortex and cerebellum. Um, chiropractic adjustments have been shown to activate the prefrontal cortex. Things like chess or any, any type of memory game where you're holding some information in your head for a little bit of time. Or things like do your best to show up on time for your appointment. <laughs> the more you plan and actually follow through, you're growing brain cells in your prefrontal cortex. So that's just one example. Um, but the cool thing is just like, you know, Joel, you know, through your training in, in neurology, the prefrontal cortex is also involved with not only thought processes, but movements. So you can do special movements, like especially when it comes to like fine motor control, the prefrontal cortex is very much involved with that. Right. And so sometimes I have my patients and private clients do like brush their teeth with their non-dominant hand that exercises their prefrontal cortex, or I have them learn how to use chopsticks or do things like origami. Any type of fine motor control is a great way of strengthening and healing your prefrontal cortex. And the amazing thing is when you do those movements and the special movements and motor, you know, fine mo motor control, not only are you going to get better at those movements, but it's because it's the same area of your, your brain that deals with focus and concentration. Guess what? I see this all the time. People's ability to focus gets better. Their fatigue improves by doing these specific fine motor exercises. Why? Why does it happen? Again, because it 
also strengthens the prefrontal cortex is yeah it's really the sky's the limit with this stuff you know once you can personalize which are the areas of the nervous system and then from there match the right exercise it's like personal training for the brain it's awesome it's awesome information i titus i used to do like i'm probably 95 percent distant now i still have the hanger honors that come into the office and and do some work but I used to have the dots on the wall, the interactive metronome, yeah. um, which is really cool because you're coordinating so many things that are activating so many different areas in your brain. And I think the easy sort of take home in, in this is do the things that you're not good at, because obviously those are the things that need work with. Um, and it's one of those things where it's the, the motto is, you, you know, you, you use it or lose it or move it or lose it. And if you're not good at specific things that you know you're not good at, then that's your homework assignment in terms of those are the areas in the brain that need retraining. It also makes me feel that there's a huge epidemic too in terms of how, like the analogy I always use is having so many browser windows open on your computer and you're spreading yourself too thick, yeah, thin, yeah. and you're 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 not going deep enough, and you're just how, how is that a problem for people? Just based on what you just talked about, in terms of how that would potentially create brain chaos, or it wouldn't actually be helpful in terms of brain retraining because of how multitasking they are are, and and the negative impact that would have with someone who had a concussion, or just in general that has brain challenges what's sorry that's a side curve but i just you know have you, the expert here but what's the problem with with doing something like that for the brain yeah that's a great question and you know it's really fascinating because the way i look at you know i, I like how you you put it is like do the things that are challenging for you because that's where the growth will be that's so true right like if you don't have the ability to get assessed and figure out what those root causes are, those weak links, that's one great way to approach it. And I just wanna to add to that. I also find too that we have a tendency, whether we're aware of it or not to self-medicate. So what I mean by that, um, as an example, I absolutely love music, right? It's one of my favorite hobbies, just listening to music, playing music. The interesting thing, I actually have a, a book here, right here on my shelf. This is your brain on music, right? But different, like music actually activates and the different types of music will activate different regions of your brain. My point is when I listen to music, especially certain songs, I feel it. It's like healing to me. But I know why is because it's actually healing to specific regions of my nervous system. My point is, so in addition to doing things that are challenging, like, again, if you're not able to get a full on assessment and figure out the fine details of what you need, another way to approach it too, on top of the challenge is what are you drawn to, right? Are you drawn? Do you just absolutely love ping pong? <laughs> there is a neurological reason for that. You know, do you absolutely love listening to music? Do you love like learning? Do you love painting or do you love going on bike rides or horse rides? Like all those different activities, again, they work or they go and our brains process that. All the different activities I just described is processed by what we call a different neural network. So I love the fact that you brought that up. It's just like, yeah, number one, do something to challenge yourself, right? Don't overdo it where you get frustrated and like don't want to do it anymore, but push yourself. That's where the growth happens. 
Um, but if you do overdo it, make sure you get enough rest, right? Recoup time. But then number two, also just kind of listen to your own intuition. Like what are the things that you're drawn to? There is a energetic reason for that, but there's also a neurological reason for it. So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that point up. So yeah, that's awesome. sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah no, go ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, you weren't finished. I, I think I asked you in terms of the challenges with, I mean, I, I get that do the things that you're not so good at and gravitate towards the things that you love to do. Um, but with the people that are exhausted and burnt out, I find that they are, they, they exceed their metabolic capacity very quickly. Yeah. And exactly. um, so maybe explain what that means with um, doing too many multitasking and, and really not having enough gas in the tank to handle that. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, Again, it all comes down to personalization. And the interesting thing, sometimes, depending on where a person's at in their recovery healing process, I might give them stuff to multitask, right? Because I, I work with a lot of high achievers who like were killing it at their work or whatever, or their job. And then after a concussion, they could barely do one thing at a time. It takes them like three, five, 10 times longer just to do one thing, let alone a lot. So yeah, absolutely. If you're in a situation like that and you feel overwhelmed pretty easily, number one, yeah, the less stimulus you have, the better, right? So you just have to think about it, you know, regardless if you've had a concussion or trauma or you've just been chronically stressed, your brain's kind of like in this healing phase, right? It needs to heal and it needs the energy and the resources to heal, but it also needs the downtime to be able to do it. So that's really great. So um, a lot of what I do, and, and that's, that's the thing. So like I said, for those of you watching right now, you might be shocked. Yeah, I actually sometimes intentionally have people multitask. You know, I'll have them do one thing. As an example, it's, there's a thing in neurology called dual tasking, where you might be walking and balancing or something, and then you try saying the alphabet um, skipping every other letter, right? So it's multitasking and that's challenging for a lot of people, especially if there's issues with the prefrontal cortex. So sometimes I'll actually do that to train first that particular person, but almost always, especially at the start of the process, the, you know, just like you said, the more you kind of focus on one area, whether it's like, yeah, the fact that we're finding ourselves so much more on screens right? It's so easy to get lost in like these wormholes. So it's really good to like lessen that amount of sensory stimuli, especially screens. And just take one of the best things I, I did in my recovery and that I teach all my patients and clients is to take mini breaks. And what that is, is like, our, we all have a certain cognitive reserve in our brains, right? So it's, it's what's known as the ultradian rhythm. So every, and this is for a healthy person. So every 60 to 90 minutes, we go through this cycle of, of energy where we'll, every 60 to 90 minutes, we'll have energy. And around the end of that, we start to, our energy reserves start to get used up. And so when it comes to the brain, what's so important is to become aware of when that happens for you. Like I said, most people, it's about 60 to 90 minutes, but I've worked with people who've had been under chronic stress or have had a concussion. That, that cycle becomes shortened by like 50% or even 75%. So sometimes I've had people where they do something just for like five or 10 minutes and then they hit a wall. 
the last thing you want to do is try to push through that, right? Especially in the recovery phase. So, so one of the things that I do are taking these mini breaks. So I'll set my alarm for like 50 minutes because I can get pretty focused, right? If I get in, engaged in a task or something, like if I'm working or whatever, or writing, uh, like, so I set my alarm for 50 minutes and whenever it goes off, I wrap up whatever I'm doing and then I take a little mini break. And what that could be is it could literally be like 30 seconds of breathing exercises. It could be, I just do a little bit of stretching, right? And I find that throughout the day in the morning, I don't need to take as long mini breaks, maybe 30 seconds as I go further on throughout the day, as we get towards the evening, I then give myself longer mini breaks. Oh my goodness, Joel, like I'll tell you, this one thing, if people do, even if you don't have a concussion, I guarantee you, especially if you find yourself engaging, using your brain a lot, either on computers or on your work, or even emotionally, like, you know, dealing with stuff in your life, like with relationships and stuff, anything that requires cognitive energy, I guarantee you, if you practice these mini breaks, it can literally change your life, right? Because what you do is, if you don't take mini breaks, what ends up happening, you try to power through that, you then trigger the stress response, you can do it. But you'll release adrenaline, you'll release cortisol to help power you through that. And then as we talked about, that leads to all the damaging long-term effects on the brain, on the digestive system, the immune system, all of it, right? So taking these mini breaks and what I found, I learned this because I had to do that through my recovery process, but I still do that to this day. What I found though is when I did that and I gave myself those smaller resets, I wouldn't need that big one week hiatus from work or life. You know? So the more you kind of build it in as a ritual, like a, a mini habit, then you're not going to end up burning out or needing those big getaways for the weekend or for a week or a month or whatever, a sabbatical, right? So it's like building these things in one at a time. But yeah, I encourage people watching out there just Next, you know, next time you're going to sit down to do anything that requires a lot of cognitive energy that isn't kind of mindless, set your alarm, start at 50 minutes. For some of you out there, you said it'd be like, wow, I can go even longer. I don't, you know, some signs that you've kind of reached that capacity is you start, you know, your eyes glaze over, right? <laughs> or you start to yawn or you get more fidgety. Those are clues that you've reached that point. So then when that happens, and if you have the awareness, look at your timer and it might be at like 60, 65 minutes. So then just set your alarm for like 60 minutes. And when it goes off, wrap stuff up and then take a little break. Right. And then whenever I do this, I can't tell you, man, you know, the cool thing is all these different actual activities you can do like to intentionally reset your nervous system. It's a lot of them are vagus nerve activation exercises, you know? And so there's all these different things you can do that can help speed up that recovery time, even when you take the mini break. So that's the one thing I really, you know, I'm glad you brought this up, Joel, because when it comes to your physical brain and physical brain health, training the brain is very important. It's very under-recognized but just as important as having that downtime to allow your brain to integrate. Because when you do that, there's a region of your nervous system that's 
associated with the right hemisphere is called the default mode network. When you do activities like I just described, they're just kind of like in activities actually, you activate your default mode network, which puts the brakes on your stress response. It allows for creativity, for insight and the healing process. That's awesome. It's awesome information. I got my mind spinning all over the place um, because I got away from when I got out of the physical brick and mortar from doing the rehab exercises, I still implement them. Um, but it, it makes it like we need to write the next book of the, you know, the defragmentation of the human brain because of yeah. how we do so many multitasking and they show studies show that you're actually less effective at that. Yeah, than you singular. use up so much glucose when you're multitasking. You just burn glucose in your basal ganglia, your prefrontal cortex. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Right. And, and I think too, like from the exercises you just described, you'll be that much more productive. You know, not only will you um, save the brain and have, have strengthening of, of different areas, um, but you'll actually be that much more productive um, mm -hmm. And then I, I love what you said, too, in terms of when I asked you about the activation, you clarified that there is emotional activation. And I'm really big on um, gratitude and celebration. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just a PMA, you know, that's just, you know, mental attitude. And it's like, no, it actually helps with plasticity and with yeah. releasing favorable chemicals. I, I use the example, like when I was an undergrad, um, I use the example of I really went out of my way, Titus, I was on the soccer team and I, I like, okay, maybe I'll go to class today and maybe I won't. I'll admit that I did that my first year. Sure. And I remember when I had to study for, you know, tests, I would have like notes missing and I would just study the ones that I did study. And I do very well on those ones, but not on the whole test because I missed half the test. And the yeah. thing I said was, I really had to go out of my way to do poorly, right? I really did. I mean, you either have to go out of your way to do poorly or mm. go out of your way to do well, but either way, you got to go out of your way anyways. So why not just go out of your way effectively um, mm. or put work into it effectively that's helping you, you know, not hurting you. And everything yeah. you've shared yeah. has been amazing information. So I got a couple of things that I want to ask you is in first and foremost, I know you wrote, uh, you have a book and you also have some free tools and I will love to go and read them and do them myself because just fascinated with the information, but where would the listener go to get, you know, the book and take the um, free tool or get the free help with the Vegas? Tell us what the free help is with the Vegas nerve and where they can get that. Yeah, sure. So I have a, a whole guide, a quick start guide to activating your vagus nerve. And that's what I was describing earlier, those specific exercises you can do to put the brakes on the stress response using these exercises, right? And so you go to brainsave.com slash vagus, and that's spelled V-A-G-U-S. So brainsave.com slash vagus. And I have a whole guide. There's 10 science-backed brain hacks to activate your vagus nerve. And for those of you who want to dive a little bit deeper and go into my whole process, I have this book, Brain Save. You can find that on Amazon. So it's Brain Save. And it has a whole six-week plan to the foundational steps to really start to fix your brain after a concussion. That's awesome. I got to get a signed version of those of that one over there. That Yeah, the absolutely. But um, so, okay, so listen, I always um, ask my guests on parting with the last question, I always ask them, hey, knowing what you know now, 
given that you had your own health issues, um, you had a trauma, um, what would you have told yourself back then to accelerate or change the course or have not suffered as much? What words of wisdom would you have told yourself that you know now? What kinds, what, what kinds of things would you tell yourself? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I would tell myself, because what I had done in terms of the healing process, I had to piece it all together myself. I don't regret a minute of that because I love learning and I'm able to now share this information with others needing it, right? Struggling with these health issues. But like I had to piece it all together. I went back to school and I studied this and I did that. So what I'd recommend is if you're struggling with any type of health challenge, find someone who knows what you're going through, like probably both personally, but definitely professionally as well. If you can find that in one person that gets it, you know, uh, from a personal level, but also understands like the actual ins and outs of your particular health challenge. Because again, it, it's like when you have that guidance, you have that mentorship, it can accelerate that whole process. It took me, well, yeah, that car accident was 20 years ago. And I can rightfully say that I'm fully recovered now, but it took me many, many years and it doesn't have to be the same for you guys out there, regardless of what you're struggling with, right? As long as you can find that guide and the expert to walk you through, because there is a process, right? When it comes to brain health, it might seem like the most mysterious thing in the world, right? But there are steps, there is a framework and there are principles that just cut across, you know, all kinds of different health challenges. So that's the probably the number one thing I'd recommend people do. If you want to accelerate the process, find someone, someone that's been there and done that to guide you through it. Yeah, I mean, as complicated as the brain is, Titus, I mean, I do feel that that functional neurology is an exact science in the sense that we know specifically that these pathways and these sensory inputs and motor outputs go from here to there. And it's it's fascinating um, and you can actually really target the areas by yeah. assessing that it's injured and by uh, you know by activating it in all the ways that we've talked about and like you said having the prerequisite of reducing inflammation supporting gut health balancing blood sugar getting your circadian rhythm but the missing links in a lot of these for people that even haven't had trauma to their mm -hmm. brain um, repetitively, metaphorically, they do, whether it's noticed or not. And what mm. you're doing is, is amazing, amazing stuff. So thank you so much for your time. Um, so I will have my listeners make sure that we post the link to your, your, um, your, your hacks brain for parasympathetic information, and also the link to the book. And I always say, hey, listen, I hope we can keep the door open for all your amazing new discoveries down the line so that I can interview again for The Less Stressed Life. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, 
What are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen and we'll talk to you soon.